Hi, you're listening to Spotlight Aisha, a podcast that shines a light on ideas that matter. Hello and welcome to the second episode of Spotlight Aisha Season 2. I'm your host, Paola Fotokowska, former president of Aija and one of the founders of the Aija Women Network. Today, we're going to focus on the business aspects of diversity and inclusion, including the commercial benefits of building a strong diversity and inclusion strategy for your law firm and client businesses. We're also going to consider what exactly do we mean when we talk about diversity and inclusion. But before we commence our session, it's my enormous pleasure to introduce two brilliant speakers for today's episode, Yasmin Sheikh and Susan Stith. Yasmin is a TEDx speaker, diversity trainer and coach and founder of Diverse Matters, a specialist diversity and disability training consultancy. Some of our listeners may remember that Yasmin featured in our Coffee with the Aija President series last year where she told us about her inspirational work championing diversity and inclusion issues. Susan is Vice President of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, Civic Affairs and Corporate Responsibility and Executive Director of the Signia Foundation. Susan has a long-standing career in diversity, cultural competence and inclusion that spans several industries, including healthcare and energy. Susan has been honoured by numerous national publications and organisations such as Black Enterprises' top executives in corporate diversity. Thank you very much for joining us, Yasmin and Susan. It's great to have you with us here today. Great to be here. Thank you. Would you like to share with the audience uh, a couple of lines just by way of introduction? Uh, I'll go first. Or Susan, do you want to go first? Yasmin, I'm going to let you go first. Oh, thank you very much. (laughs) So thanks for that introduction. Um, So I'm also the Vice Chair of Lawyers with Disability Division at the Law Society of England and Wales. Um, uh, As Paolo said, I'm a a former lawyer. Um, I was working in a city firm in London for about 12 years. And then I had a significant life event, which I'll share later. And that changed the course of my direction and, and led me to deal with diversity and inclusion issues, particularly in the legal profession. So thank you, Yasmin. Um, I'm Susan Stith, as um, was introduced earlier. I've been with Cigna for 10 years now, and I've been doing this work for many, many years. But I have a very eclectic background, which I think helps inform the work that I do. Um, I've come from consumer product sales to retail, as mentioned, I've been in the energy section as sector as well as healthcare. I'm also a wife and a mother. I've been married for 35 years and I have two children, Alexandria and Clark. So I'm excited to be here with you today. That's lovely. Thank you both for those uh, personal introductions. And so we're going to dive straight in. Um, both of you use storytelling in your approach to diversity and inclusion issues. And I think it would be really interesting for our audience to hear some highlights from your professional and personal journeys, which have brought you here today. So perhaps we could start with uh, Yasmin first. Sure. So my journey, um, I guess I entered the diversity and inclusion world back on the 18th of March 2008, when I had a significant life event. Um, At that time, I was 29 years old, working, as I said, in the city as a lawyer, practicing personal injury law. And um, I was very fit and healthy. I went to the gym probably four or five times a week. Um, I've been a vegetarian for most of my life. I've never smoked in my life. But that night, 
I went to bed and within about two or three hours, I couldn't get out of bed at all. My legs just simply stopped working. There was no warning, no accident, no idea what had happened. And um, I got to the hospital um, after calling the ambulance and um, the neurologist said that I'd had a spinal stroke. I'd never heard of it either. Um, so I was thrown into a world of disability literally overnight. Um, and I took about a year off work where I had to undergo rehabilitation. Um, but I had to, it wasn't about learning to walk again. It was how do I now use this wheelchair? Because everything had changed. My whole body had changed. So that, I guess, fueled my passion for diversity and inclusion because I realised we weren't really talking about disabled people when we talk about diversity and inclusion. We're often the forgotten group. And it's not just people with visible disabilities, it's non-visible. In fact, 97% of people with disabilities have non-visible conditions. Could be cancer, diabetes, dyslexia, chronic fatigue, MS. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a long list of, of different health conditions. And so I had a, a, a mixed experience when I went back to work. I had a, a good boss and a bad boss. I mean, both of them ultimately had led, have led me to this journey of setting up my own consultancy um, because both were instrumental in one giving me a lot of confidence and the other one, the bad boss, highlighting there's a lot of work that needs to be done to make this profession more inclusive, more understanding, and also really most importantly, harness the talents um, that exist within this group of people, disabled people, which are often, as I said, a forgotten group. Um, and just one other point, um, intersectionality is a huge passion of mine as well. I'm a, a mixed race woman. My dad's from Pakistan, he's Muslim. My mo mother is white. Um, so I've got a, a lens which is um, probably different um, in terms of looking at the world. And so um, my intersecting identities really do play a part in how I look at this work and look at the profession as a whole. Um, and Susan mentioned she's a mother. I'm also a, a new mother. My, my son is 16 months old, Bobby. And so <laughs> thank you, Susan's applauding. You can't see the audience. Um, but that really has looked, changed things for me in terms of, you know, women going back to work and flexible working. Um, so, yeah, I take quite a lot of boxes. I, I just have to say, everything that you said, especially the piece on the intersectionality, I think that so often we forget that we are not just one dimension, and people forget that. So they see me walk in the room, and they see an African-American woman of a certain age, and they assume that I'm going to behave in a certain way, but they don't know the backstory of who I am. And so I spend a lot of my time, when I talk about what it is to be diverse and inclusive, diversity is the easy part. Inclusion is the hard part. And so if we can get people to understand not to just focus on the visible or what they think and to focus on who truly people are, that's what my life mission has been. That's the work that I do, really focusing on who I am, who I am inside the workplace, who I am outside the workplace, and who I am in my community. And I think it's important that we allow people to be their whole selves. So when I think about what I've been doing over the past number of years, it's really getting to the heart and soul of who we are. And for me, I've reached a point in my career where I'm working at the 
intersection of passion and profession, where what I believe and who I am is so crucial to being able to do this work and to being able to have that conversation with people that maybe I couldn't have had when I started my career. As my daughter said, oh my gosh, mom, don't tell people when you started your career. That's like an ancient, you know, like a whole new world. So keep that in mind. My kids are 27 and 24, so that time goes very quickly. But the reality is, is that we do want people to be the, who they are. As I was listening to you, Yasmin, I didn't say that I serve on many boards. And um, one of the boards that I served on was Starcloth Disability Institute. And so much of what you see in the law around ADA started with Max Starcloth in uh, the 90s, and so or the late 80s and the early 90s. So very much aligned to that. But we want people to be their whole selves and to be able to bring that into the workplace. Fantastic. Um, thank you both so much for those personal insights, which I think form such a big part of this discussion. And uh, they help to explain, um, as I said at the beginning of this session, um, what do we actually mean when we're talking about diversity and inclusion? And I think you've helped um, to bring out uh, some of those nuances and um, sort of the focus areas. So now turning to Susan, um, you've had a long career focused on diversity and inclusion issues uh, in a variety of industries that you've already mentioned. So um, I think it'd be really interesting to hear about um, how the approach by businesses uh, to the topic has evolved over time. You know, you've already alluded to the fact that you started your career some time ago and there has been a significant amount of change even in recent years. So it'd be really interesting to hear a little bit more about that. And then bringing it to the present day, um, what are the issues that businesses and law firms should be thinking about uh, during their business strategy planning? You know, this question is so, so there's so much there. There's so much that I could add in. So if you think about the laws, right? And so I always tell people, I'm not a lawyer, but I play one in my workplace. So, um, so what that means is that you do have to have an understanding. You do have to understand, especially in the U.S., what it means um, where it started, right? So it started around compliance, and you think about the Civil Rights Act of 1964, you think about Title VII, you think about um, the Executive Order 11246, and then you fast forward to today and the evolution of that. And it is not about just compliance. It's not about just filling the coffers with whatever that happens to be, someone who's black, someone who's Asian, someone who's this, about race, gender. It's more than that. And so when I think about my children, as I said, what they're 24 and they're 27. So my 27-year-old is a millennial, and my 24 is a digit, or whatever those, whatever that term is. Native digit, I think, is what, what they call them. And so I watched them and I listened to them because what I allowed in my career, what I accepted as the norm, my children, my daughter, my son would never never allow some of that. And so what's important today is really the focus on individuals and purpose. They come to work and they go to organizations focused on what does your company stand for? Who is it? There was a quote in Forbes that says purpose-driven companies are the ones who make the most money, who have the best resources, who have the, the, the thought leadership. And that's where we are. It's this evolution from compliance and focus on affirmative action, and not that those aren't important, but more importantly today, it's the focus on belonging and purpose, and that's what's driving where we are. And so then you fast forward to so much over the last year has been really um, 
especially in the U.S., from George Floyd after his murder to you see the trial that's on now with Aubrey. And lots of focus is on the work around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And as I mentioned earlier, the focus is not just about diversity. It's about equity. And it's ensuring, you know, if you think about the difference between equity and equality, equality is giving everybody the same thing right? We're going to create an equal world. Everybody's going to get the same thing. Well, that doesn't mean that that's what I need. Equity is giving me what I need to be successful. And it's being able in this work today to have a discernment and understanding of what that means. That equality is, yes, I understand, but everyone, I need to make sure that I understand who our workforce is and what they need and have a real dialogue and conversation around equity. So my work is focused on, as I said, diversity, equity and inclusion, ensuring that we're creating an environment where I can be who I am every day. And that means having those conversations around equity that we may not have had many years ago. Hopefully there's a whole lot in there. Yasmin, anything you want to add into that, what I just said? Oh, I completely echo um, what you said there, Susan, about actually there's sometimes a misunderstanding that equality or equity, those terms are sometimes confused, aren't they? In that specifically when I think about disabled people, to treat people fairly, we sometimes have to treat them differently. Um, And people sometimes misunderstand that. So, yeah, I just echo what you said. There's a saying that I like to say is that it's different yet the same. And so we may be different in how we approach things and what our definitions are of diversity, but yet we all want the same things, and that's to be treated with dignity and respect. So I may look different, I may talk different, I may act different, but at the end of the day, I want the exact same thing that every person does, and that's to be treated with dignity and respect. Thank you both for those insights. I think the two points you've both just made um, are absolutely crucial to this discussion Uh, Yasmin, your point about um, that actually in order to achieve equity, it might be important to treat people differently. And I agree. I think that is there's very often a fundamental uh, misunderstanding, um, particularly in the workplace, about what that might mean. Um, And yes, then uh, your uh, point, Susan, that ultimately we are all humans. (laughs) We all want to be treated with dignity and uh, offered the same opportunities, um, you know, that of which we are all deserving. So um, yeah, I think, uh, thank you so much um, for those insights. Now, moving to you, Yasmin, um, you've done some really interesting work uh, with the Law Society of England and Wales on best practice guidance for disability inclusion to help organisations better understand their legal obligations. So tell us a little bit more about this project and how it's relevant to our listeners and their law firms and businesses. Sure, thank you. So we were involved with the Legally Disabled Research, which was with Cardiff University. Um, That was with Lawyers with Disabilities Division at the Law Society of England and Wales. And what the research looked at was the career experiences of disabled people working in the legal profession. So this included trainees, paralegals, solicitors, uh, barristers and a few judges. And they looked at all the stages of their careers. And the, the, you can check out the um, findings and the recommendations. It's a really comprehensive report about getting into the profession, some of the barriers that exist for disabled people, getting on, you know, um, being promoted. Um, and um, it's a very thorough report. You know, the research uh, looked at the fact that 
there is a real fear, for example, of, of making a request for a reasonable adjustment um, amongst disabled people. And, you know, conversations about reasonable adjustments are difficult and stressful for both the employer and the employee. And the Legally Disabled Research have got some fantastic recommendations how to improve those conversations and to normalise these conversations uh, that people find so difficult. One example is ask everyone at recruitment and in regular appraisals, what adjustments would help you realise your full potential? Because what that does is it avoids the stigma of a special status for disabled people asking for this. The truth is everybody needs an adjustment in some way, you know, whether you are a carer, um, you might have young children, so you might need some flexibility. Um, and, and, you know, now that we're all working in a completely different way, the pandemic has shown that there's, there's been a radical humanisation in, in the workforce and the way that we all have to work differently. And so this has benefited disabled people being able to work from home flexibly to manage their um, disability, to avoid travelling and the long commute sometimes, which can cause fatigue, navigating uh, a transport system, which is wholly inaccessible, for, for especially for wheelchair users or people with mobility issues. And so um, this is a new opportunity. I always think that change, um, you know, disruption is sometimes a good thing. We can, we can look at new ways of working and that really can include um, disabled people as well, a hybrid way of working. And the Legally Disabled Research looked at the experiences during the pandemic for disabled people as well. That report um, is available online. If you just Google legally disabled, um, you'll find the report there with the recommendations. And two other things I just want to mention. Um, also within, uh, when, when you get to that website, the legally disabled website, you'll see um, we've also published reasonable adjustments guidance, and that's best practice for disability inclusion. Um, and there's some um, real um, life examples from law firms, um, practical examples on what's working well at the moment. Um, and the third thing that's available is easy wins and action points for disability inclusion. Because in my experience, a lot of firms are saying, look, we want to do the right thing. We want to include disabled talent, but we don't know where to start. The, the issue seems so big. Um, so this is a really good starting point, the easy wins and action points to get started and to start this conversation. Can I add something there? I think that, I, and I appreciate that you've you know, given us the resources. I think it's so important, but I think also you mentioned the time, this disruptive time, this chaotic time, as I call it VUCA, right? Volatile, uncertain, chaotic, ambiguous, the world that we're in today. And if you really think about um, so much of what we're seeing, it's the, the kids going to school from a mental health standpoint, workers coming into the workplace, not understanding, that's going to impact us. And so we do need to make sure that we have resources available because that's the new reality of the world that we're in. And, and one of the things that I do in the foundation is we fund a program called Healthier Kids for Our Future, and we're focused on food insecurity and mental health. And we actually did that prior to the pandemic, and we can see um, nonprofits coming more and more asking for funding because the need is there, especially for school-aged children. So just wanted to throw that in that those resources are so important. Thank you so much, uh, Susan and Yasmin, uh, for those wonderful insights. Um, I think, as Susan said, uh, we could continue this discussion for an hour, if not over multiple hours. 
Um, but I hope that today, uh, within the time available, we've um, attracted our listeners' attention to some of the key points um, which are currently on the agenda in the diversity, uh, equity and inclusion sphere. Um, and I suppose I would like to uh, turn to each of you just to give us that final uh, takeaway point that you would like our listeners um, to go away with. So Yasmin, if I can go to you first. So no matter where you are in your organization's journey, there are three things that you can do to build or sustain a diverse, equitable and inclusive environment. The first one is to simply listen. Just start with an understanding of where you are with your organization and where your organization is in that journey. And then reflect. Listen to your employee base and then reflect on what you hear and then act. Make sure that you do something with what you've heard from your employees. Make sure that you take action. So listen, reflect, and act. So final takeaway for me is the mantra, nothing about us without us, because particularly when it comes to disabled people, we can be overly paternalistic. We make huge assumptions about mainly what people can't do. And actually, let's give agency and a voice to disabled people. Thank you so much. I think those are two very clear messages. Um, thank you to all our listeners who joined us today. Um, we hope uh, we've given you plenty of food for thought. And uh, I invite you all to uh, continue listening to this podcast and tune in next time. Thank you so much, Susan and Yasmin. This has been a fantastic discussion. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you to all our listeners today. Um, I hope you enjoyed today's episode on the business aspects of diversity and inclusion. And we hope to see you next time with more insightful episodes for Spotlight Aija. In the next episode, hosted by Thomas Sieber, member of Aija's Legal Tech Board, looking at the legal tech relevance and usage in public authorities. And finally, all episodes will be available on various podcast streaming platforms and on the Aija website. Interviews with experts on innovation, legal tech, business, creativity and other important topics for the legal profession, but also highlights from Aija events. Tune in every month for something new. You have listened to Spotlight Aija, a podcast produced by Aija for young lawyers across the globe. Don't miss the next episode.